0: We turn tonight uh, to our continued study of the book of 2 Corinthians. Tonight we're in chapter 9, as I mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Noted we've switched the Corinthians to the evening, and uh, it will probably take us through, uh, Lord willing, the spring of the year to make our way through the rest of 2 Corinthians as well has much yet to say uh, to this church. But uh, in chapter 9, he's continuing the theme that we began in chapter 8, this theme of giving. And uh, just uh, seeing it's been a week off uh, from dealing with this, let me just remind you of the fact uh, that uh, this is not a a calling out, nor has this series been an attempt as a calling out, that uh, you need to give more. Um, As a church, perhaps that may be true individually, Uh, I'm not aware of that or do I become aware of those situations, Uh, but that in your own heart you know whether or not uh, you indeed are a generous giver, whether your family is a generous giver, whether you tithe regularly to our general fund or not, uh, or whether you sort of pick and choose, well, I'll give to this but not to that, I'll give to this and not to that. The Lord never told the Israelites, now go look at the Levites and say, if you think the Levites got enough animals, stop tithing and give it to something else. That requirement to tithe was always there. And it remains the policy of how we as a church operate as well. We don't set a budget. We don't tell you every week this is what a family has to give. Uh, That wouldn't as far as we see it, not necessarily be a biblical way of doing it. The biblical way is to tithe. So we take that general fund to do so. And if you look at the information that was in your mailboxes uh, this morning, uh, we as a congregation have done well in that regard. And uh, uh, that is indeed a blessing. We have done well as a congregation not only in terms of tithing to our own church, but in terms of our giving towards missions and mission causes. We have done well. In that regard. So this is this is not in any way meant to be, come on church, let's get with it. Uh, this is the word of God. This is what is before us. And so this is what we're dealing with. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in Heaven, Lord, open our hearts, our eyes, our minds to understand this Word. For Lord, giving is something that you've allowed us to do, giving to your saints, helping others. For Lord, you have bountifully blessed us. And Lord, may we do this in a way that praises and glorifies your name. Help us in this area, Lord, this supreme Jesus name, Amen. Amen. So, for a good giving church, what does this passage have to say to us? Well, I think there's three things that strike me about this chapter, um, and those will be the three points of our sermon. First of all, that there needs to be the readiness to give. Secondly, that there is a principle of giving that Paul lays down. And thirdly, that there are results to giving and giving generously. So readiness, the principle, and the results. And that's for all of us, whether or not we're a tither, whether or not we're a generous giver. Uh, there, There are certain things here in this chapter for all of us to take in and to consider. First of all then, dealing with the readiness to give. This is what Paul is dealing with in the first five verses as he's talking once again to to the Corinthian church. And he notes three things to them. He says, one, last year you had a great desire to give. I was impressed by the desire that you as Corinthians had to give, had towards this offering that we're taking to support the work of the church there in Jerusalem, to support those poor Christians who are going through that famine. We're taking this offering throughout all the other churches in order to bring it back, as it were, to that mother church, the church that, that, as it were, sent out all these missionaries that supplied for all of these needs for all of these years. Now that they're in need, it's time for the children to care. And that's what's going on. The church at Corinth, Paul is saying, was very ready to do this when this was brought up. He's probably referring to the time that he was there. This was discussed. And they said, yes, we want to do this. You're right, Paul. We, we want to support that work. And we, and we were eager to do that. That's what Paul is, is commending them for, that they were eager to do it. In fact, Paul says that their eagerness has been an encouragement to others. Your zeal, Paul writes at the end of verse 2, has stirred up most of them. In other words, as others heard. See, now you've got to remember, Paul leaves Corinth. He goes to another place. Talks about that. Talks about this offering for the church back in Jerusalem. Somebody would say, well, how did the Corinthians respond to, to this? Paul said, Corinthians are ready to give. Corinthians are ready to support this those other churches go Corinthians are ready to support this then we're on board too we, we'll take an offering too we'll take this up the Corinthians desire their readiness to, to be available to serve in this way serves as as an excitement to others now what is it about this that that brings about this excitement? well if you stop to think about it this is a radical ethnic shift. For we know who made up the church at Jerusalem. At least the vast majority are Jews. Who make up the church in Corinth? Gentiles. Think of the hurdle that is being overcome here. Centuries. Centuries of hostility. Centuries. Of separation. Gentiles reaching out to help these Jewish believers in Christ. Uh, he has div- brought down the dividing wall of hostility so that there is no more Jew, there is no more Gentile. Why, why was it? Largely because of the example of the Corinthian church being so ready to help out and to assist and that the church back in Jerusalem is ready and willing to receive the help and support of Gentiles. This has become a great encouragement throughout the church, throughout these other places where Paul has went. Now Paul says, now we got to bring this home. Okay, you talked about it. You said you were ready. Look, I've, I've, I've bragged about you to other churches. I've told them the Corinthians are ready to give. The Corinthians desire to give. The Corinthians want to give. Those churches have have anted up. They've given their gift. Now, he's not saying it, but underlining it is, Corinthians, haven't seen any money yet. You talked about it. You've been an example But there's no money in the pot yet. Now he's saying this politely. He's trying not to be offensive about this. So he says, that's the reason I'm sending these other brothers from what we had in chapter 8. I'm sending those men to to get that offering so that when I come, this is a ready and done deal. I won't have to deal with this. It'll already be done. I know you desire to do it. Now bring it to completion. Finish this. We step back from it and we say, as believers in Christ, we need to be people who are ready to give. We need to be people who who are an encouragement to other churches in our desire to give. But we have to bring it home. We have to be those who, who, as it were, lay the money on the table. We, We have to put our money where our mouth is. We can't just talk it. We have to demonstrate it. We have to show it. I'm not saying we aren't. I'm just saying that's the principle that that Paul is looking at here in regards to the Corinthians. But then, as he's dealing with this subject of giving, Paul goes into a little bit more detail about the idea and the principles that lie behind giving. I want you to write down three E words underneath this principle of giving. One, it involves an equation. Two, it involves an expression. Three, it involves an example. An equation, an expression, and an example. What is the equation? Verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now I realize, okay, this can be taken in many different contexts, and and there's many points of spiritual application. But I I don't think you can look past the fact that in chapter 9, Paul's dealing with money. I mean, to to simply avoid the fact that he's dealing with money is not fair to the text. The first principle of the interpretation of of this, is you have to look at the fact he's addressing a concern about money. So here's the principle. He who gives sparingly, reaps sparingly. What does that mean? It means they never have enough. Means they're never satisfied. The person who is not a generous giver is a person who is concerned about holding on because they want more but the way money works is this: if you're consumed by the idea that you want more you will never have enough you will never be satisfied that's the principle that's the equation if you give little you're never satisfied with that which you have left It's never enough. You never have enough to pay for those expenses. You never have enough to get that other car. You never have enough. You're always running short. Why? Because at the very beginning you sowed sparingly. Because there is a second equation. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. One of the richest men in the Old Testament was Abraham. Abraham tithed. God made him rich. It's true. You can't look past that. That was the principle at work. What Abraham received, he tithed. When Abraham tithed, God blessed him with more. Abraham tithes more. What happened? God's blessing him with more. That's what the principle means. When you give generously, when you give bountifully, God rewards bountifully. Not only in terms of amount, but with what that amount does. It isn't so much that the dollar figure has to increase; it's that there is a satisfaction with the dollars that are left that you don't have when you sow sparingly. So, if you're, you're one thing to do with this sermon is to go home and say, "Are we always are we always kind of never having enough?" When Nate puts that little slip in your box, probably later this month, that says your, your amount that you contributed for this year was. Look at it and say, did I even make the minimal tithe? Did I even come, did I even just give that minimal amount of that tithe? Why is it I, what I have left isn't enough? Because you sowed sparingly. That's the principle. That's God's principle of economics. That's how it works. There is an equation that is at work. Paul, uh, God reiterates this at least on three occasions. Proverbs 11, verse 24, you can write that one down. Galatians 6, verse 7. And then there's the Malachi, chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. God says, when you bring in the full tithe, I will open the store. Houses of heaven. I'll give you so much abundance, you don't know what to do with it. Somehow, the same... See, this is what happens. When you give generously, you might end up with less money than if you sowed sparingly. But the little you have left is more satisfying Than if you had kept more for yourself. How does that work? That's what God causes to happen. That's what God does with it. So, one, okay, there is this principle of giving, there is the equate equation that each one of us needs to, to take into consideration. How are we doing on that? How are we doing on that? What is the bottom line in terms of, not necessarily as a church, which I have said has been fine, but how are we doing as individuals? What's the bottom line for us? Secondly, the second E is an expression. Giving, note, is to be an expression. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or grudgingly under compulsion. Reluctance is the unwillingness to part with something. I'm putting that money in, but boy, I really don't want to put that money in. Boy, I'm putting that money, I'm giving that money, but I really, really don't want to. I really want it for myself. Does God love the reluctant giver? Answer, no. Does God love the one who gives under compulsion, grudgingly, forced compliance? Okay, I suppose the deacons paid us a visit. They, they say we're, we're never giving anything. I suppose we better start writing a check and using the envelopes and we better start giving something. God just loves it when we give. Under those kind of conditions? No. God loves when this is simply a gift out of an expression of joy. Just the blessing of being able to give. You see, that's why it's always called the grace of giving. This is a grace to be able to give. And it's an expression, not a I probably could have used that $20 I just gave to Family Life Center. God doesn't love when you give that way. Oh, I suppose Pastor Bob said this was something worthy. I suppose we better put something in the offering plate tonight. God doesn't love that. He doesn't meet with any of his approval. He loves it when it comes from our heart when it's an expression of joy. So that even if you're a widow, and you're only given your two whites, he takes note. He takes note. She's left with nothing. Oh no, she isn't. (laughs) She's not left with nothing. She is left with the greatest satisfaction in the world. God loves a cheerful giver. 30, an example. See, Paul says the example of this is God himself. God is the one who also gives. And he gives, start with me at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How does God give? Does God give grudgingly? Does God give reluctantly? Or is God giving freely? Paul says, God gives freely. So when you give freely, you're following the example of God. As it is written, He distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. How does God give freely? How did Christ give? Now this morning we're at the table and we're, we're thinking about and focusing on the fact that Christ gives Himself. He gives His body, He gives His blood, He gives His life. Did he do that reluctantly? I really don't want to do this, God. I really don't want to do this, Father. But, okay, I suppose you're going to make me do it if I don't. So, okay, I'll go and do it. No, he gives himself freely. Did he give sparingly? Or did he give completely? Well, the answer to that is he gave himself completely, fully, wholly. Subjected himself, humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. Oh, is there a principle at work? When you sow bountifully, what happens? You reap bountifully. What did Paul write to the Philippians? He humbled himself to death on the cross. Therefore God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Confessed. Is the principle at work in the life of Jesus? Absolutely. So God is not asking, God is not stating, God is not placing before us anything that he himself did not do and does not continue to do. When God pours out his Spirit on our hearts, he doesn't pour out a little bit of the Spirit. I really don't want to give it all. He fills us with His Spirit. When He washes away sin, does He wash away sin just by a little bit? No, He cleanses us wholly, fully, completely. He washes us as white as snow. See, whatever God does, God does Generously, bountifully, so that we abound in grace. We never get a little grace. We always get abounding grace that is poured out upon us. Oh yeah, but I'm going to give reluctantly. I'm going to give grudgingly. I'm going to give sparingly. That's not the example of Christ. It's not the example of God. So as he takes the Corinthians through this, he's pointing out to them the principle at work. Now it's time to give. Now it's time. And as you give, remember the principle that is at work here. Remember, don't don't do this out of compulsion. Do this freely. Do it because you see God's grace abounding in your hearts and in your life. That brings us to point three, the results of giving. That's what we see in verses 10 through the end of the chapter. What are the results? One, 10 and 11. Follow along with me if you would, please. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Now Paul's taking the principle that he established and he's going a little bit further with it. He's saying this isn't only an economic principle, this is a spiritual principle. This is the way it works. When you become a generous giver, God enriches your life in every respect. He doesn't just enrich materially. He enriches your righteousness. He enriches you in every way. Why? So that you can be more generous. Become more loving so you can love more. Become more joyful so you can share joy. Become more caring so you can share that caring. God enriches your life in every way. I would imagine at this point we're we're struck with with two dynamics. The two dynamics are these. Amen, Pastor Bob, I understand exactly what you're saying. Or, I don't believe it's true. I don't think that would happen. I don't trust God to do that. Now, you're not saying that, but in effect you are. I don't really think that will happen. My guess is person A is a generous giver. My guess is person B is probably grudgingly, reluctantly putting something in. God said to the people in Malachi, test me in this. Test me. Go ahead, test me. I'm willing to be put to the test on this one, God said. It's an interesting statement of God. It must be he's pretty sure of what he's going to do. Our lives will be enriched in every way when we become generous givers. Secondly, the result is thanksgiving. End of verse 11. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. What is my goal in life? What is my purpose in life? To glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. If my act of giving allows others to bring thanksgiving to God, is that not a blessing? If by our giving as a church, some organization or some missionary is blessed by that giving and says to God, Lord, thank you. Thank you for supplying my needs. Is that not a blessing for us? The more people who are thanking God for the blessings that they receive become a blessing to us. It's what we're here for. It's we're here so that more people turn to the Lord and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for the encouragement you've given to me. Thank you for this blessing that I don't know where it came from, but suddenly there was this check. Thank you, Lord. What's the result of generous giving? One, enrichment. Two, thanksgiving to God. Not only from others, but also from ourselves. It is a blessing. It is something we ought to come before God and say, God, thank you. Thank you that I am able to give generously. You have so blessed my life. You have so ordered my life that I am able to give generously. Thank you. Thank you. You deserve the glory and honor and praise because that is a grace. That is a grace that does not come from stubborn, self-focused individuals. That's a grace that comes only from God. Only God can make our hearts generous. See, because by nature, we're not generous people. By nature, we're selfish people. By nature, we hate God. We hate others. We're self-absorbed only with ourselves. Only God, with his transforming grace, can turn us to people with open wallets instead of padlock saves. Only God, by grace, can make us Generous givers. And when that is happening, we then can turn to God and say, thank you, God, for your grace. Third, it results in praise. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Not only is God thanked, but God is glorified in this act. Our act of giving generously is an act that glorifies God. You know why? Because most people would probably look at most of us and say, Gee, how is it that they give generously? we say, only by the grace of God. Who just received the praise? Us? No. Nope. The Lord did. It's that praise that goes to Him for that transforming grace of our lives. Let me let you in on a little clue. A little secret. Some of you know the secret, some of you don't. For many years, this church operated in the extreme red. It was needed and necessary for other churches around to take up offerings to support the work of Little Farms Chapel. What do you suppose happens in those churches now here sent out to other churches, to other organizations to help, to support the work of missions. That all of our needs, all of our in-house needs have all been met in abundance. What do you suppose happens? Wow. God's really doing something. Yeah. God is really doing something. It's not us. It's God. See, and that's what what Paul's trying to drive home to these Corinthians. When you give this gift that's going to go to help support these, these fellow believers back there in Jerusalem, you know what's going to happen? People are going to say, praise God! Praise God! Nobody's going to say, oh, aren't the Corinthians great? No, they're going to say, praise God. They're going to glorify God. Grace. That He's given you. The grace of giving. Lastly, look at verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Sometimes people ask me the question. And if you've been one of those, I, I, I'm, I'm not singling you out. It's just... I. I I get asked this question frequently. Pastor, how can I know? How can I know if I'm a Christian? Well, this isn't the only answer, but this would be one of them. Are you a generous giver? If the person were to say yes, then I'd say Well, Paul seems to indicate in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 14 that the ability to give generously is a result of God's grace. Yes, I think that indicates you are a Christian because you have a heart that has been transformed and changed. I think that leaves the other unsaid. What does Paul remind us we are to do? We are to put on the mind of Christ. We are put on the mind of Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be equal, but he humbled himself and he became the servant. He became the giver. As a Christian, one of the hallmarks of our life as a Christian is to be a giver. Maybe one of the reasons individuals lack assurance maybe one of the reasons i didn't say the only maybe one of the reasons some people lack assurance is because they give reluctantly they give under compulsion they don't give with joy and they don't give generously see paul is saying god's favor god's blessing is resting upon you That's why your heart is motivated to give. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And God's people say Father, thank you again for your word, for its reminder to us tonight that you are the one who sees, you are the one who knows. That you are the one who cares. You cared so much that you gave generously for our salvation. You didn't go part way. You didn't go halfway. You didn't go three quarters of the way. You didn't go 99.9% of the way. You went all the way. You fully paid for all of our sin. As you have given generously, Lord, may we give generously as well. Again, Father, we thank You for the beauty and the wonder of Your grace that has been shown to this congregation over the years. That we can, Father, show and report the blessings that, that are found on those pages, those financial pages handed out this morning. Father, to You belongs the honor and the glory and the praise for that. You, Father, are to be thanked. First and foremost, for your grace that has turned a selfish people to those who desire to give cheerfully, abundantly for the cause of Christ, in whose name we pray, and God's people say, Amen.